hell is wrong with you people? This is the first time I am actually disappointed in you. You all think that I was too easy on Jack Delaney? Too easy. I was too easy on the kid who I inferred in multiple ways was a plagiarist. The kid I lured into my spider hole and embarrassed on air. I was too easy on him? You all make me laugh with your bloodlust. What did you want me to do? Make him cry? What the hell is wrong with you people? I mean, the show was awkward. That was good, right? His voice was shaking. I could hear it. That was a really hard interview for me to execute. And yet, you wanted more awkwardness? You wanted more rudeness from me? You wanted more indignance from me? This is why I'm disappointed in this feedback. Here's the first reason why. I have plagiarized before. See, that's a problem. I have absolutely copied entire paragraphs verbatim for college papers. I've absolutely leveraged other people's papers from previous years. People that had taken classes before, when I took the class, I leveraged their papers. I am guilty of doing that at the college level. So... Who am I to be Mr. Indignant about a possible plagiarist? It's kind of tough. It's not easy. It's not right to do that. That would be hypocritical, right? Right? I mean, it's the same. We've done shows on this exact topic before. That's the other thing that's frustrating to me with this, this feedback. Again, you can give the show feedback at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. It's just like other shows. I've shoplifted before. I've driven under the influence before. As have all of you, by the way. And don't pretend that you haven't. And we brought this up. When we did the show on Joe Randall. When we did the show on Justin Blackman, when we did the show on Josh Gordon, when we did the show on Jameis Winston. Asking the question, who are you to judge these people the way you do? High priestesses of sports. I mean, I'm a lot of things. But a raging, judgmental hypocrite is not on top of that list, and I don't plan it. I don't plan on it ever being on the top of the list. Thank you very much. So no, I am not going to rail on this individual because I think he might be a plagiarist. No, I'm not going to do that. Because this is sports. Remember? It's sports. This is not serious. Someone who writes about sports, even if you think he borrowed someone else's idea and pawned it off on his own, which I pretty clearly imply that I think that's what he did on Friday's show, do you really think that anyone that writes about fantasy sports 
deserves to feel more shame than Jack Delaney did on Friday. Wait, I can... don't, Don't even bother. Don't even bother contacting the show because I can answer that. He doesn't. I know this because I saw him tweeting Sean Siegel after Friday's show apologizing seven different ways if his book was misconstrued. And it wasn't just misconstrued. I mean, he borrowed someone else's idea without properly giving them credit. So he realized after the show that he had aired and then he immediately went to the source and tried to correct it. Not everyone would have done that. Then, beyond that, he's texting me directly, expressing a genuine fear that he just nuked his fantasy writing career after he has soon realized that a whole army of Rotoviz junkies are calling him a plagiarist. I felt bad for him. During the interview, I had a whole list of questions that were more aggressive, that were more abrasive. And the reason the interview was rather clunky, I went back and listened to it. I don't listen to all the shows. I definitely went back and listened to that one. And I was cringing at myself because I was awkward. I was stammering and stuttering. It was very clunky. And one of the reasons it was so clunky is halfway into the interview, I realized I can't shred this kid the way I had planned. And I had to improvise. And whenever you see someone totally improvising off the cuff in an awkward situation, it's going to get very clunky. That's why that show was probably our clunkiest show ever. And even then, even after I scrapped some of my more aggressive lines of questions, still at the end of the interview, I felt the need to build him back up. Don't worry, man. You're the real deal. It's okay. You'll be okay. And maybe it's the bad phone line. Maybe it's this low-quality audio of this show. Maybe you couldn't hear the tone in his voice, the shakiness in his voice, but I could hear it. I could sense it. And you know me by now. You know me. I was ready to furnace blast this guy if he was at all dismissive of my line of questioning, which he wasn't, if he was dismissive of Sean Siegel's work, which he wasn't, I mean, if he was aggressive, if he was arrogant, if he was dismissive in any way, I would have hit him with the more aggressive line of questioning. I absolutely would have. But he didn't come off that way. He came off as an individual, a kid who was genuinely scrambling to explain himself. And yet, you all wanted me to be more cruel to him. That was the unanimous feedback after the show. More cruelness. You people are ravenous! But you're my audience! 
We're in this together. So I can only complain so much. We're in this together. You're the buzzards circling my head. You're helping me. You're my eyes and ears. So we're stuck. And I just have to eat it. I'm disappointed, but I just have to eat it. And we just have to, I have to look up and you have to look down at me. And I look up at you flying and you look down at me in this post-apocalyptic world where I, I, I'm just sort of, I have a cane, right? I have a cane and I'm, I'm, I'm dressed in, in sort of desert gear, Bedouin gear. And you have to look down at me and just shrug your shoulders and I have to look down and I have to look up at you and with a little bit of scorn, but then just I have to shrug my shoulders too and, and we get on with it. We move on with life in this post-apocalyptic fantasy world that we're all trying to make sense of. So that's fine. But I, I would just ask, please, members of this audience, be a bit more empathetic have a bit more perspective the next time I decide to ambush some hack writer on the air for your enjoyment. Because I'm doing it for you, and I will do it again. I mean, okay, I admit, for some of you, I didn't go far enough to satiate your bloodlust. Okay. But I think we can all agree, every single one of you, every single one of you that has plagiarized, every single one of you that has driven under the influence, every single one of you that has shoplifted, we can agree that that radio on Friday was suspenseful, and it was compelling, and it was uncomfortable, and I did it for you. And all those things made it good. Sometimes bad radio is good radio. That was the case on Friday. And the show, right? I'm all about challenging bad analysts with bad ideas and bad processes. I mean, I'm offended that you would think that that's not what I'm all about. That I would go easy on anyone. But yet, I have to tell you, I am not out here trying to destroy some kid with a thousand followers and lead a mob to go burn his house down with torches. Jack Delaney may be a plagiarist. Maybe he's not a plagiarist. Doesn't matter. I don't need a misguided kid's demoralized, broken spirit on my conscience. I don't need that. That's why I built them up at the end. I said, man, don't worry. You're the real deal. You're okay. Go forth. Have fun in this world. Go write about sports. Don't let this show get you down, man. Don't let this audience get you down. That's where I ended up at the end of the show. Because he was a kid with a thousand followers. That's the difference. If this was some self-important gas bag from NFL.com who wrote a zero RB book and then tried to rationalize his plagiarism away, 
You know they would have had to wheel him off my show in a World War II gurney. Trust me. Trust me. This is a kid with a tiny audience. He's making a couple bucks on a book, an ebook, an ebook, which is like a long article, let's be honest. So, no, he doesn't deserve to be shredded on this show. He doesn't. You know what else he did? Jack Delaney, immediately after the show, went to Amazon, edited the description of his ebook, and added a disclaimer giving credit to Rotoviz as the originators of Zero RB Theory. Now, he should have also credited Sean Siegel by name. He didn't. Okay. Still progress. So, that's all I have to say on that topic to address the buzzards that descended upon the show Friday afternoon and Friday evening. I've said my piece here, but let me know. Everyone, tweet the show at Roto Underworld. Again, email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Let me know. Let's do a show poll. Show poll. Let me know. Was I, A, too hard on Jack Delaney, and he should have hung up? B, was I just the right amount of hardness on Jack Delaney? Or C, should I have been meaner to Jack Delaney and tried to make him cry? Email, tweet the show, let me know. Now, if there is one individual in this world or one type of individual in this world that I would gladly try to make cry, that I would, with a zeal, look for the tears to start rolling, it would be the individuals who love to criticize this show on iTunes. Oh yes, we've had another bad review on iTunes. Let's get right to it. The Doob writes on iTunes, the title of the review is, This Guy Matt Kelly is a Jabroni. Okay, fine. I had to look up Jabroni find out what it means it's not good if you're wondering what jabroni means nothing about the word jabroni is positive every negative attribute that you could assign to an individual essentially is encompassed by the word jabroni okay so matt kelly's a jabroni one star here's the review voice is twangy often flies into fits of rage ex-convict Makes bird sounds make it stop. It was, oh, sorry, excuse me. Hashtag make it stop. Hashtag. The hashtag in the iTunes review. I think we've lamented this before. The hashtag in articles. The hashtag on Facebook. You can only hashtag something on Twitter, people. Hashtag anywhere else is lame. So this review is lame. But... I, I do I do take particular offense to one aspect of this review. And that was the part about the bird sounds. I mean, you can say a lot of things about this show. Often flies into fits of rage. I think that's pretty fair. 
ex-convict, that's not true, by the way. You can have gone to jail and not be a convict. Different things. I didn't say I've been to prison. Doob. Twangy voice? Come on. Really? Really? This voice? Ladies? Come on. Really? Come on. Really? Fine. 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 Bad analysis? Fine. You can say my analysis is bad. That's... I have absolutely voiced some bad analysis on this show. But again, the part of it that I have to disagree with is the bad bird sounds. You're not going to hear bad bird sounds on this show. This show, you will only hear great bird sounds. I only know how to do great bird sounds. We've done the buzzard sound. The buzzard sounds pretty damn good. In fact, we had people saying, we prefer your homemade buzzard sound from your own vocal cords than all the bird sounds that you were trying to test out and test drive on the show. We ended up going with a pterodactyl sound at one point. And that was fun. But some people preferred my own rendition of the buzzard sound. And I have more bird sounds. So I'm going to show you my range of bird calling and bird sounds because of this review. Because he is so off base saying, I'm not good at bird sounds. So off base. Here you go. You ready for this one? How about an owl? That was a blue jay. than I am at Sigmund Bloom impressions or Bill Belichick impressions. So do not go to iTunes and dis besmirch my ability to make bird sounds. Because that is offensive. That will not be tolerated. I'm just going to have to look at this. I mean, it will be tolerated. There's nothing I can do. I can't ask iTunes to take it down. In fact, I kind of like this review because it makes me look like an ex-convict, so it makes me look hard and tough. So that's great. So we, Secretly, I like the review. But, again, just the bird sounds part really mm, just kind of uh, didn't, uh, didn't sit well because it was inaccurate. I do productive and efficient bird sounds. And contact the show again. I've given you the, the Twitter handle and the email address. Let me know. Another Twitter poll, another show poll. Are my bird sounds good? That one I, I fully anticipate 100%. Yes, I anticipate consensus amongst the audience. We can disagree on everything. We can disagree on Carlos Hyde. We can disagree on Martavis Bryant. We can disagree on 
DeMarco Murray being the number one overall pick in fantasy, I don't think we can disagree. I don't think there's going to be any dissension amongst the ranks of this show's audience. But my ability to do impersonations of birds. Get out of here! Now, corrections from past shows, because of course there's lots of bad analysis. I want to make something clear. Because I think I mentioned on a previous show that I'm not drafting Carlos Hyde outside of Dynasty. I do like Carlos Hyde. I just don't like him at his current ADP. But because of the the negative energy, apparently, that's surrounding the 49ers franchise, Carlos Hyde's ADP is descending. So I'm starting to like Carlos Hyde's ADP because I'm seeing him now fall into the fifth round. Once Carlos Hyde falls into the fifth round and your alternatives are running backs like Isaiah Crowell, I'm very much in favor of drafting Carlos Hyde. Again, certainly a better option in the fifth round than Isaiah Crowell. If you're going to draft a player on a bad offense, draft the guy with the draft capital, draft the guy who's guaranteed the touches like Carlos Hyde. No one is... There's no threat on the 49ers to Carlos Hyde's first and second down between the tackles work. On the Browns, however, it's conceivable that Duke Johnson could just take the entire three-down job and run with it. That's the difference. And again, I do not believe in this notion of the haunted franchise. So I think the 49ers will exceed expectations this year because they couldn't get any lower. I mean, how can it get any worse for the 49ers than it was in 2014? Well, what if all their players retire? I get it. They lost an offensive lineman. They lost a linebacker. Okay. Yeah, they have they have other players. They have bench players. They have backups. They'll be okay. They didn't lose Colin Kaepernick. They didn't lose Anquan Bolden. They didn't lose Vernon Davis. None of those guys retired. So I'm still pretty comfortable with the idea that the 49ers improved their offense from 2014 to 2015. Again, it can't get any worse than it was last year for the 49ers, who had the number 32-ranked run-blocking offensive line, had Michael Crabtree in a starting role running around on one leg, had Vernon Davis running around on one leg, providing Colin Kaepernick with zero field stretching and big playability. That was... Had a running back in Frank Gore with 2,400 career touches on his odometer. Those were the players that the 49ers were counting on on offense in 2014. That was a horror show. That was haunted compared to this year. So I am buying the 49ers based on their price point in 2014. Excuse me, in 2015, I wasn't so much buying the 49ers based on their price point in 2014. That's what being a contrarian is all about. You look at the marketplace, you see how assets are being priced, and then you make decisions on what to buy based on the price. And the price of 49ers 
offensive skill position players is too low. Now, more corrections. Martavis Bryant, not so much a correction. I just want to address a misconception about Martavis Bryant. I like Martavis Bryant. I'm an owner of Martavis Bryant in Dynasty. I was the guy who was drafting Martavis Bryant in the third round of Dynasty rookie drafts throughout 2014. I am that guy. Now, since then, I've traded him in some leagues, certainly, because his price has escalated to such a place. His cost, his value has escalated to such a place that I've been compelled to trade him. But I still own him in places, and I still like him. He's the kind of player I like. Athletic specimen. I like that. That's my kind of player. I think he's much better than Kelvin Benjamin, for example. Kelvin Benjamin, not an explosive athlete. Just a big, lumbering nothing. Martavis Bryant is big and fast and explosive and exciting. So I like Martavis Bryant. I don't like Kelvin Benjamin, yet I am against drafting either one of them in redraft in 2015 because of their price point. But as it relates to Martavis Bryant and the the rising valuation, the hype, can someone answer me this? Since when did 48 targets in half a season on less than 50% of the team's snaps become enough to judge a player's ability. Since when? 48 targets is enough. Since when? Is my question. Because it's not like Martavis Bryant is Allen Robinson or Jordan Matthews or Charles Johnson. Those players are locked in as second-year receivers, third-year receivers that will that are guaranteed a starting featured role on their respective offenses in 2015. Meanwhile, we're not even sure that Martavis Bryant will play in two receiver sets yet. No, we're not sure yet. We're not. You might think you are, but we're not. You're not. It's still possible that Martavis Bryant will only be deployed like he was in 2014 as the stretch X receiver in three receiver sets only. That's still a possibility. No matter what people are saying about him when he's running around in shorts in June. Here's why I'm a Martavis Bryant skeptic in terms of his Redraft valuation in 2015. Look at Martavis Bryant versus Charles Johnson. Martavis Bryant. Now, we've talked about Martavis Bryant in the past and how he was never a full-time player in 2014. But let's go to his game logs. If we go to playerprofiler.com, you click on the game log tab under Martavis Bryant's headshot, we have his per-game snap share. Starting in week 7, Martavis Bryant's snap share, the percentage of plays in which he was on the field for the Pittsburgh Steelers, 37, 39, 54, 63, 48, 38, 33, 
43, 56, 45. That's three games above 50%. When he was active in weeks one through six, he wasn't even active. Now, look at Charles Johnson's game log. This is where it gets very interesting. Charles Johnson also was late to the active roster. He was first active in week five for the Vikings. Now, if we start at the same week, week eight, so they had a bye, Minnesota had a bye week seven. So now let's go to week eight and look at his per game snap share. Charles Johnson. Again, remember Martavis Bryant. Three games last year, he played more than 50% of the offensive snaps. Here's Charles Johnson's snap share breakdown from his 2014 game log. Week 8, 31%. Week 9, 27. Week 11, 56. Week 12, 100. 100. Week 14, again, 100. Week 15, 100. Week 16, 100. Week 17, 98. He was the starter in one receiver sets. He was their starting flanker and or starting split end. He flip-flopped. He can play both. That's the beauty of Charles Johnson. He's big enough and refined enough to play flanker, and he's fast enough and has enough burst. Charles Johnson! A 133.7 burst score, 94th percentile on playerprofiler.com. The burst score is an equally weighted mix of his vertical jump and his broad jump. He's explosive, very much so. So he can play either split end or flanker, and depending on the situation, depending on the formation, they've been deploying him in either place. Not just in OTAs in 2015. They did this throughout the entire second half of 2014. Did you know that? Did, raise your hand. Another Twitter poll. Another show poll. Contact the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Twitter at rotounderworld. Did you know about Charles Johnson playing every single snap of the second half of 2014. That's why I would draft Charles Johnson before I would draft Martavis Bryant. Because, to me, snaps is a snap share is more meaningful than per-target efficiency. So on a per-target efficiency standpoint, Charles Johnson was nothing like Martavis Bryant. Charles Johnson's yards per target, 7.9, 50th in the league. Martavis Bryant's yards per target last season, 11.4, number two in the league. Immensely impressive. Charles Johnson, not so much. Martavis Bryant dominates Charles Johnson in terms of per-target efficiency and per-target productivity. But Charles Johnson dominates Martavis Bryant in terms of snaps and routes per game. And in, the, in, in this case, when you compare 
Johnson versus Bryant, I'm going with the snaps. Rather than possibly being fooled by randomness, we've talked about this on previous shows, I went back and I watched all of Martavis Bryant's big shot plays from last year. He got lucky on a number of them. Randomness was at play. He benefited Martavis Bryant more than any other player in the National Football League in 2014, benefited from randomness. So instead of being fooled by randomness, possibly, again, Martavis Bryant, if you extrapolate, take his efficiency, take his statistics from 2014 and extrapolate them into 2015, maybe he is the next Randy Moss wide receiver in the NFL. Maybe it's true. He has the per-target efficiency of Randy Moss. That's what Martavis Bryant posted in 2014. Maybe he continues it. Maybe if you add volume to Martavis Bryant, it just continues. He just gets better with targets, and he's Randy Moss. It's possible. I just think it's unlikely. So rather than taking the risk of being completely and utterly fooled by randomness and small sample sizes, instead, I default to what the respective teams are telling me about the player's ability, about that player's projected role. Pittsburgh's telling us that they're not sure what Martavis Bryant is. Pittsburgh's telling us they're comfortable with Martavis Bryant in three receiver sets, and that's it. Minnesota's telling us Charles Johnson is our bona fide number one receiver. He's the best option in the passing game that we have And it's not particularly close. That's what the usage patterns are telling you. When you stop looking at the production, when you stop looking at the efficiency, when you stop looking at things that can be influenced by randomness, at the core of it, you have to like how Charles Johnson is positioned in 2015 better than you like how Martavis Bryant may or may not be positioned in 2015. Martavis Bryant is much more of an unknown headed into 2015 than Charles Johnson is. Also, when was the last time anyone brought up Martavis Bryant's underwhelming college resume? Martavis Bryant was on the field at Clemson a lot longer for a lot more snaps than he's been on the field in Pittsburgh. He's had more snaps as a Tiger than he's had snaps as a Steeler. Yet, we hear nothing about Martavis Bryant's Clemson career. It's as if it never happened! Yet! What about Sammy Watkins? It's the opposite! Sammy Watkins' entire reputation is currently being sustained. His valuation in Dynasty, his valuation in Redraft, is being sustained by his play and his reputation for explosive plays that he garnered at Clemson. Yet, Martavis Bryant, it's as if he was never at Clemson. It's it's as if he never had a college career. We've completely forgotten it. Lost in the sands of time.
Where did Martavis Bryant go to college? I don't remember. I don't think it's relevant. Yes, it is still relevant. It is. He only has 48 targets at the professional level. Of course, his college career is still relevant. Martavis Bryant's college career is still more relevant than Sammy Watkins' college career. Because Sammy Watkins was actually a full-time starter in 2014. Martavis Bryant was not. Sammy Watkins had, had more than twice as many targets in 2014 as Martavis Bryant yet. Sammy Watkins' college resume is what sustains his value. It's amazing. That's an amazing dichotomy. But this is also what confirmation bias looks like. Do you want to know what confirmation bias looks like in fantasy football? It's that. It's Sammy Watkins and Martavis Bryant. Those are it. Talk about poster childs. Those are your poster childs for confirmation bias. The narrative on both of these players is driven by the fans of those players who are only interested in confirming what they already believe that those are great players. They're only interested in isolating the segments of those two players' careers that make them look great. That shine the best possible light on those players. Those are the aspects and the segments of those players' careers that will be isolated and discussed. While ignoring the sections of those two players' careers that may give you pause. Martavis Bryant, as a Clemson Tiger, should give you pause. Looking at Sammy Watkins as a Buffalo Bill should give you pause. Martavis Bryant's athletic profile and his rookie season per target productivity were shockingly similar to Justin Hunter and Corderell Patterson. Yet, his ADP continues to rise. It's rising on playerprofiler.com. We have the player's MFL 10 ADP listed directly under their name. And we also have the trending. How much has that player risen or fallen over the last couple weeks? We have that value in parentheses. Every time we post that value on playerprofiler.com, Martavis Bryant has a positive value in parentheses. He's only going up. Nothing can stop his ascent in terms of average draft position. It's as if Justin Hunter and Corderell Patterson as archetypes, as cautionary tales, never existed. It's like Groundhog Day. Ned? Ned Ryerson? Is that you? Martavis? Martavis Bryant? Justin? Justin Hunter? Is that you? Yeah, it's like a 50-50 chance that Martavis Bryant in 2015 will see his shadow, become the Martavis Bryant that we all know from Clemson, and go back into his hole. 